for those of you who missed last week, how many of you were here last week? Just quite a few. Okay. If you missed last week, don't worry. I'm just going to do a quick recap. But we're going to have a good evening. Amen? How many of you, how many of you, have, yo, I like this amen. You must come and teach our morning people how to do an amen. Eh? How many of you have ticked off at least one on your, on your list? Well done. Well done. I'm very proud of you. No matter how many you tick, I'm going to be proud of you, okay? So last week, just to quickly recap, uh, for those of you who were here, remember I spoke about a scripture in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, that says, command those who are rich. It's the Apostle Paul giving an instruction to, to Timothy. And he said, this is the command that you have to give to rich people. And I explained that all of us are actually richer than what we think. We all of us think, oh, goodness, rich people are those who have a plane and a jet and a, a beach house and three cars, you know, those, you know, and a billion in the bank. And I explained that all of us actually, we are richer than what we think. So that scripture says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then the second command, which leads, it's almost like you can't do the second one unless you get the first one right. All right? If, if, if we put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, we will hold on to our possessions. We would not be able to do the second command, which is to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. So if, if our hope is in wealth, if our hope is not in God, we would not be able to give. We will hold on. We will be so scared. I explained last week, we will be haunted with a question, what if, you know, what if I need this money tomorrow? Or what if the interest rates go up? Or what if, what if, what if? And then we will hold on to what we have. So if we don't get the first command right, we won't be able to do the second one. Remember? But tonight, I want to talk about the, the last part of this passage, verse 19, that says, in this way, it will basically be the results of doing these two commands. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly Life. This is what we all desire, hey? Life that is truly life. We don't exactly know what it is or how to get there always. But it's in our hearts. We want true life. And, and I think many people think it's, it's, we find it in money. Or we find it in more money. Or we find it in possessions or, or wealth. And I want to explain to you tonight how we're going to pursue life that is truly life. All right, so I just want to tell you a story. When um, in 2014, I was invited to speak at our ladies' conference, our annual Awaken conference, in, in, one in Stellenbosch and one in Johannesburg. It was a great honor for me, and I was preparing hard for, you know, I was really trusting God for the right message because it was, it was quite a big, a big um, honor for me to do that. And a couple of weeks before the event, I... While I was preparing, all of a sudden, I had this thought. I thought, 
I wonder what if there might be a gift, you know. I wonder if they might give me something, you know, whether it's going to be flowers or chocolate or what. And all of a sudden, my heart was drawn to this something, you know, that I made an assumption. I mean, I have spoken in places before and they didn't give me anything, so it was an assumption <laughs> that I made. And I experienced my heart being drawn to this something that I might potentially get. And it wasn't a nice feeling. It, it, was, it, it distracted me from my preparation. It distracted me from what I was wanting God to do in my own heart and in the women's hearts. So I just immediately started wrestling with God. I immediately started just saying, God, I don't want my heart to be drawn. I don't want to be distracted by this. And I made a decision in those weeks to whatever they will give me to give it away. I didn't know what I was going to get. I didn't know what it was going to be. But I said, God, I'm so desperate for you to, to move. I'm so desperate for my ministry to be pure. I'm so desperate for my heart to be pure. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be controlled by whatever I will receive. So I made a decision to let go of that. Even before I knew what it was going to be, I made a decision to let go. So the question is, was it wrong for me to think that I might get something? I don't think so. It's it's like a birthday, you know. Is it wrong to think, oh, it's my birthday coming up. I might get a gift. You know, it's, it's not sinful, it's not wrong, it's like kind of human <laughs> to go that way. And would it have been wrong for me to receive a gift? No. I've received many gifts and thoroughly enjoyed it in my life. I, I, I love giving, I, I really love receiving as well. It wouldn't have been wrong. This is why we added number six on your list Maybe just before I finish my story, for those of you who are new, who are new tonight, you, you were not here last week and you were not as, uh, part of our morning services last week, please make sure that you have one of these in your hands. All the new people, do you have one? Not. Can you just quickly raise your hand if you don't have a generosity challenge? Okay, we need, we need two here in front. Do we have more lying around? You need, a, you need a generosity challenge. It looks like this. And you need a little packet of cards. It looks like this. All right? Okay, do you have, do you have cards? Okay, we'll, we'll get one to you. We'll look for them. Okay. Before you leave, we'll get one to you. Otherwise, you can have my, my pack. I just needed to illustrate something. All right. Let me continue with my story. It's not wrong to receive. This is why we added number six on your list. It says, allow someone to be generous to you. Learn to receive well. I really believe many of you know how to give, but do we know how to receive? It's just as important to to not go like, oh, no, man, you shouldn't have done that. Oh, why did you do it? Now, Now somebody comes to you with this gift. You know, this is the way way I am, I think God just taught me over the years to, to enjoy giving because I, I, I really try to think about what would bless somebody. I, if I don't have the time and the capacity, it's, it's more difficult, but if I have time and capacity or like, 
what would that person really enjoy? And then I, I love just giving it to them and see the expression on their faces. And, you know, so if that person is now going to go, oh, no, Sonic, I really, you know, why, why do you give this gift? Well, oh, no, it's not necessary. You know, and then I'm like, no, man, I'm so excited to give it to you. Be excited. Receive well. Right, so this is why we added number six. You don't have to do anything, you just need to have the right attitude when you receive something. So, no, it would not have been wrong for me to receive a gift. However, I was desperate in that season and in that time for my ministry to be pure, for my heart not to be distracted. Does it make sense to you? So, I decided to do something radical and to say, God. I don't want to be controlled or distracted by this gift. So I am going to let go of it. It ended up being quite a substantial financial reward because I spoke at two conferences. It was for me a small fortune because it would have been mine, you see. It would have been my, my money and I would have been able to do with it whatever I wanted to. But I... Let go of it before the time. And I was so thankful for that because it changed, it, it changed the ministry for me. It changed the whole conference be, for me because I was completely and utterly focused on God and not on any, on any reward from any person. So I want to ask you tonight, have you ever done something radical in your life? In order to see God. You know, there's a scripture, Matthew 5, verse 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So I want to ask you, have you ever done something radical in your life to pursue purity? Have you ever done something radical in the area of your finances specifically so that you can see God? So that, that there's purity, not because it would have been a sin to keep it, not because it would have been wrong, but because you were actively pursuing purity and you were actively pursuing seeing God. Have you ever done something radical? I want you to think about that. And would you be willing, would you ever in your life be willing to do something radical to experience life that is true life? Because it's not a ta- life that is true life is not something tangible. It's something intangible. All right? We cannot serve two masters. And I've, I've seen that over the years in, in my own life. You know, working for two people at the same time. I don't know how many of you ever have ever been in that position. I've been in that position in, a, in, a, in the company I worked for before we moved to East London. There's many bosses. I worked at an auditing firm. So there's lots of audit partners. And... It's really complicated to work for more than one person. And especially if they have demands at the same time, on the same day. I'm sure some of you might have experienced this. Eh? It's, it's, it's draining. It's, it's, it's as if you cannot please both. It's just impossible. You know, it's like having two husbands. Hopefully you don't have two husbands or two wives. I really hope. Maybe you're hiding one away somewhere. <laughs> It's, it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to please two husbands. There's just no way. I mean, most men in any case can only cope with one woman, eh? One woman. It was like, like King Solomon in the Old Testament. I don't know how many of you know, but he had 700 wives. 
700, and, and listen to this, it's not, it's not the whole story, 300 concubines, a thousand women, a thousand women to please. I have no idea how I did that. It's not possible. It's not possible to have two masters. So let's look at Matthew 6, verse 24, that explains this very nicely. No one can serve two masters. No one. No matter how smart you are, how brilliant you are, you cannot serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So I want to ask you another question. How many of you have ever felt controlled or manipulated by somebody or something? Anyone? I did. Was it a nice feeling? Was it pleasant, like a holiday feeling? No, it's horrible. <laughs> you know, to, to do things you don't want to do, to say things you don't want to say, even to give things you don't want to give when you feel manipulated, it's, it's horrible. But do you realize that if money, if we are serving money, if money is our master, okay? Remember, we can't have two masters. We can only have one master. But if money is our master, or if there's a mixture in our hearts of serving both God and mammon, we are actually being controlled and manipulated on a regular basis by money. And we don't realize it. Why do I say that? You see, money is a really good servant, but it's a poor master. Money is a harsh master. Money will make decisions on behalf of you that is not the right decision. All right? So it's not, it, it, it doesn't lead to life that is truly life if money is your master. And if there's a mixture or if we serve mammon, and it's not about how much money you have. It's not as if rich people serve mammon and poor people don't serve mammon. It's not about that. It's about the condition of your heart. And it is something that we need to evaluate in our own hearts because I think often all of us or the majority of us have a mixture. And we need to kind of take stock all the time. What is going on in my heart? Am I serving God? Am I serving mammon? What, what's going on? All right, so I'm going to give you a couple of signs, possible signs, that money is your master, not your servant. Just to, let's take stock. Let's, let's check what is, what is going on in our hearts. If you are on a constant basis worried, anxious, or stressed about your financial situation, it's a possible sign that money is your master. We all go through financial challenging situations. So I'm not talking about maybe a week or two or three where something could be stressful. I talk about a constant worry, stress, and, and fear around your finances. It's, all, it's always been there, and it's been with you since you can remember. That could be a possible sign. Second one, impulsive buying. I'm also guilty, okay? Impulsive, impulsive buying is just the best sometimes. <laughs> so buying something impulsively sometimes is okay. It's when it becomes a habit, and when that impulsive thing that you've bought when it, when it leads to debt or when it leads to, when it's actually a really bad decision and it gets you in trouble, that's when it becomes a problem, all right? So impulsive buying, lack of self-control. So you can't wait, you must have it now. Lack of patience, lack of self-control. 
So you, you don't have the cash, but now you're going to buy it now because you want it now because you can't wait, all right? This is what this one's talking about. Number three, a discontentment. So you're always unhappy or dissatisfied with what you have or your circumstances or your salary. You're just forever unhappy, overworked, underpaid. And you share it with everybody that you're overworked and underpaid. I remember one, one guy... One of the article clerks who worked with me and worked with me in back in Cape Town, he he was very focused on what he what car he drives. He was very focused on you know the outer appearance of of you know our profession and what we look like. And the one day he said to me, Sonica, your car is a real embarrassment for the company. <laughs> it was like he had this huge speech. He said to me, You have to upgrade your car. It's an embarrassment for the company. And I had this long discussion with him, and he drove a black Opel Astra OPC. He was a third-year article clerk, okay? He stayed with his parents. He ate his mom's food. He had no other expense but his car. So his whole salary was going into his car. That's the only way he could have afforded it. And I was, I was just so fascinated by his worldview because I could, I could see that it's a, it's a discontentment. I was so content with my car. I was so happy. It was paid off. I drove a little Opel, also Opel, but it wasn't good enough for him. Opel Corsa. Um, back then it was called a One City Eye. It was basically an Opel Corsa Light, three-door. So it was a small little car, but in my opinion, I mean, it was clean and it was working. And it, for me, it was totally fine. And I just, I just, I could just see how I could very easily now move from content, because I was content to, I'm so discontent with my car. It's an embarrassment. Surely I have to do something about it. And praise God, I'm, I had the wisdom at that stage just not to, you know, just to love him off and to say, you know, uh, my car is paid off. How, how much are you paying for your car? And if we live in that place of discontentment, it's, it's a sign it's a sign that money is your master, all right? Stinginess, you struggle to give or to share your hoarding. you holding on to things could be a sign. Greed, wanting more of what you already have. That is greed. So you have something in a good working order, and it's not falling apart, but you want to upgrade. It's like upgrade, upgrade, upgrade all the time. No, there's no problem with, being, with, with upgrading your things, but if it's like a constant thing. I also worked with a, with a guy also in Cape Town. He bought himself a new Toyota Corolla. The car was two years old. And he said to me, Sonica, I have to upgrade my car. I have to buy myself a new, new car. And I said to him, your car is brand new. Like, in my opinion, it was like a brand new car. And he said, no, 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 no. It's time to upgrade my car. And that was his lifestyle. Forever he was upgrading something new. I mean, he lived in a house. He sold the house, bought something bigger. It was just he was forever, forever not happy with what he have. That is called greed. So you have something, but it's not good enough. Two weeks later, it's not good enough anymore. <laughs> mishandling of debt. Also, if there's a lack of self-control, you mishandling of credit cards. So you have a couple of credit cards, and you just like roll them and you know just manage your credit cards, making more and more debt. That. Those are all possible signs of money being your master, all right? So how do we make money our servant? Because that is our, that is our key. What do we do to make money our servant? Because I, 
I promise you that will lead to life is truly life. Because I experienced that in my own heart. You know, we, we, just, we did a series in 2011 called The Generosity Ladder. How many of you were part of that? One person. Okay, it's a while back. We did a series called The Generosity Ladder. We ordered 80 of these books from America. Because it was, a, it was a really good book about moving from financial stress to financial peace. And we decided we're just going to hand it out in church. We're not going to ask money for it. We just want to, to people to get equipped of, on, on how to not stress over their finances all the time. And the morning when we were handing out these books, believe it or not, there was a, a staff member of Nelson Sears who wrote this book. She was on staff with him in, in the past. She was visiting our church that morning. She emailed him. She said, Nelson, you won't believe it, but I was in this church in South Africa, and they handed out your books for free, and it was just awesome. And he said to her, well, get their postal address. I'm sending them another 80 for free. <laughs> and he did it. We, are, we received 80 of these books in the post And for us, it was such an amazing confirmation because we did a similar series. This one is a bit different. But we did a a series in church called The Generosity Ladder. And we zoomed into biblical stewardship and finances and what does the Bible say about it. And for us, it was almost as if God said, you know, there's my stamp of approval. You have to talk about it. I mean, what is the odds, you know, that this... On the morning we hand out these books, they said there's an employee of this man who wrote the book from America, and she emailed him, and they sent us another 80 books. I mean, and, and the, the, we, we know it was true because we received the books. I mean, we did receive the books, and for us, it was just such an amazing um, confirmation that we have to talk about this. So we have to grow in giving. It's not something that's just going to happen overnight. It's almost like riding, learning to ride a bicycle, for those of you who remember that. Learning to ride a bicycle, learning to uh, drive a car, learning to play musical instruments, learning a language. It, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a skill. And giving is similar to that. It's a skill. It's, a, it's an art. It's, it's something we need to learn. And it doesn't necessarily come overnight. So I want to read you a scripture, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7. Beautiful scripture. It says, again, remember the New Testament, most of the letters were written by the Apostle Paul. And he gave instructions to churches. So it might as well have been a letter to Shofar East London by the Apostle Paul. Okay? He, he addressed certain things in churches. So he, he said the following, Since you excel in so many ways, and I really believe we do excel in so many ways. I really believe it. In your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious Act of giving. How awesome is that? So yes, you, you, there's faith and there's gifted speakers and there's knowledge and there's enthusiasm and there's love. However, I want you to also excel in this gracious act of giving. And this is what we trust the Lord for. This is why we do this. Because I, I feel God has given us so much. And maybe you think, God has, Sonica, God hasn't given me much. 
He's given you something. He's given you something. All of us have something to give. And this is what, what this, this month is all about. You see, it's a process. To become an extravagant giver is a process. And we want to teach you. We want to teach you. We lead our hearts by doing these things. And I trust God that it's be- going to become a lifestyle. It's not going to be tick, 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 end of May. Thank you. Now Sonica is off my case. I can now go on with my life and hold on to my money again. No, I want, I want to encourage you for this to make it a heart thing where we say, God, let this become written on my heart. Amen. Let this be a heart change. So I want to speak to you about two different kinds of giving. And just there are more. There are more, but I want to focus on these two. The first one is tithing. So some of you might know about tithing. Some of you might have heard about tithing. I know there's also many, always many questions, many questions and debates and theological debates and arguments and opinions and everything about tithing. But I remember when I started following God in high school, nobody taught me on tithing. I didn't get a message or a CD or a, any, any book or anything. My dad wasn't a tither, even though he was a giver. My grandfather was a, uh, a huge giver. He would also just give and give and give. I don't know where he got the money from. He was always just giving. My dad is the same. So he modeled that to me. All my years, I could just see my dad will go without everything as long as other people have something. <laughs> However, my dad was and still is not a tither. He's not giving 10% of his income to the church, to his local church. But for me, even though nobody ever taught me on that when I was in high school, when I started following God, I wanted to do it. Nobody taught me that you must give 10% to your church. I just all of a sudden felt this is what I should do. And I started finding out about it. I, I went to somebody... Uh, that I trusted, I said, what is, what is this all about? Giving 10%. And I started reading up and I discovered so many beautiful scriptures and stories and testimonies and, and solid truth around tithing and the results of tithing in your lives. You see, Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, we need to honor the Lord with our possessions. We need to honor the Lord with, with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So for me, it's a heart issue. I know there's lots of debates and questions and, you know, arguing, is it gross or net? And, oh, you know, ultimately for me, these answers, there are answers. If you have questions around 10% of your income to the church, you know, and if, you have, if you have questions, if you, if you have bad experiences, anything like that, there are answers. We have Really good answers to your questions. But I really believe it's something in our hearts where we honor God. And if we really want to honor God, it, it, we will look past even all our questions and all the debates. Because it will be, oh, God, I want to honor you. So the 10% is just the starting point, ultimately. It's like, God, everything belongs to you. So you must be Lord over everything I have. So I want to honor you. And tithing is just a really good starting point. I'm not going to uh, speak a lot about tithing. Hopefully Andre will, will give more insight on that later in the series. But 
The most important thing about your tithe is it should come to your storehouse, which is your local church where you get your spiritual food. All right, there's a beautiful scripture in Malachi that says we must bring the tithe to the storehouse so that there can be food in my house. So that there can be food, so there can be spiritual food in my house. So your tithe always comes to the local church. Always to your local church where you get your food. This is the tithe. This is the one thing. This is our starting point. This is the one way we can give. One way we can make money, our servant. And it's a really good starting point. If you've never done it before, I know that it's, it's to kind of fit it into your budget now quickly is quite impossible. This is why we always encourage people to start somewhere and to increase by God's grace and his help until you can get to the 10%. That's tithing. I want to mainly talk tonight about offering, giving and offering. It's different to tithing. Many people think it's like the same thing. I mean, I'm giving money to God or to the church or to the missionary in India. It's not really the same thing. Your tithe belongs to the storehouse. An offering is something over and above your tithe. Okay? Big shock to your system. Goodness, they want more money, more money, more than 10%. Goodness, I'm not going to survive this sermon. Just hold on. Hold on. Seatbelts on. Buckle up. You're going to hear good news tonight, okay? It's going to change your life forever. You see, I never battled to tithe because I started from a really young age. What was difficult for me was to give over and above my tithe. It was difficult because you kind of feel, I've given my tithe, so you're holding on to the rest. Oh, God, please don't take everything. God, can I keep something? You're kind of scared, you know. What is God, what else is is he going to ask of you? But something that changed my life, and this is what I want to share with you tonight, in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, because I was always stressed when there's an opportunity to give, because my heart is to give, but if I didn't plan it, or it's, it's like, you know, instead of impulsive buying, it's now impulsive giving, for me it was very stressful, because where is the money now going to come from? It's not in my wallet anymore, and I was supposed to buy groceries for that tomorrow, so now where's the money going to come from? So this changed my life, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. So I want you to look for the answer in the scripture, okay? You need to apply your smart brain now. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Can you see it? I'm going to drink water and then you can think about the solution to my stressful giving problem. Okay, anyone, what is, what is the answer in that scripture to stressful offerings? It's not the cheerful part, okay? Let me help you. Joe, it's not that difficult. It's not the cheerful part. As he purposes, thank you, Slim. Thank you. Purposes in his heart. You will not ever become a cheerful giver, I believe, if you don't purpose in your heart. You will be a stressful giver. You might still be a giver, but I was a stressful giver until I started purposing in my heart what I will give. What does, what does that mean, to purpose in your heart? It means that you budget to give, or you predecide 
what you're going to give. Which means the money is still in your bank account, but you dedicate or allocate that to giving. You let go. It's almost like my story right in the beginning where I dedicated whatever I was going to give to somebody or something that God was still going to show me. It, it wasn't mine anymore. So when I received it, it was very easy to give. If I did not purpose in my heart, before the time, it would have been very difficult for me to give. It was already difficult. <laughs> when I made the decision, it would have been 10, 20, 50 times more difficult to give. Because now it's, it's, it's mine. But if you let go before it's even yours, it's so much easier. So if... If you, if you receive a salary and you, you make it part of your budget, you say, God, 200 rand per month or 500 rand per month or whatever you can afford or 50 rand per month. It's not, it's not mine. My tithe belongs to the storehouse. And then a portion of the rest, I dedicate it to giving. Even though you don't know what you're going to um, give it to, it doesn't matter. But when there's an opportunity... You have money to give. You can give joyfully. You can give cheerfully because it's not stressful because you've already dedicated that money to God. Does it make sense to you? It changed my life. When Andre and I started doing that, it's, a, it's an item on our budget. So giving is never, there's always money. Okay, unless it's maybe thousands, we need to get it somewhere else. But there's always hundreds available to give, Always. At all times. There's always money to take somebody for coffee or for lunch. There's always money for a, for a gift. I buy lots of gifts. <laughs> I need a big budget for giving. <laughs> My husband is he's fine with that. I, I just can't, you know, sometimes we decrease some of our other items on our budget. But the giving budget can't be decreased because I need the money to give. And it's, it, it is... It changed my life from being a stressful giver to a joyful giver. It changed everything because it is dedicated and allocated for whatever giving opportunity will arise. It changed my life. And it's part of life that is truly life for me. If you take my budget, my, my giving budget away, I'm going to be a very sad person. <laughs> Ask my husband, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to live. I would not be able to live without my giving budget. I love it. It is, it, it brings me alive. It does something to my own heart to buy a gift or to give something to somebody and not to stress over it, to do it joyfully and to love it. You see, we don't miss money we give. Think about this. We don't miss money we give. We miss money we spend. We miss money we waste, we miss money we poorly invest, and we miss money we loan to our brother-in-law. That's a joke, okay? That's a joke. But we, we don't miss money we give because giving actually equals investment in eternity, which is a whole topic on its own, and I wish I can have another Sunday that I can teach you on that. But... It's as if you deposit money in your eternal bank account when you give. You let go of it on earth, but it's actually not gone. You deposit it into a heavenly bank account, and it earns interest, and you will get your reward one day in heaven. That is the way giving works. 
It leads to life that is truly life. So let's go to our generosity challenge. I know most of you might not have it here, for those of you who got one last week, but for those of you who are new, make sure you have it in your hands. So the question is, have you started? Most of you have, I hope. It's not too late to join, so you can join us tonight. The idea is to finish as most as possible before the 5th of June. So you have three weeks. All right? And if you, if you do those that I touched on last week, you can use your generosity blessing card. It's in a little plastic, plastic packet. You can use it. And at the back you'll see it says, My small way of showing that he loves you. You can write a scripture on it. You can write a word that, that God has given you for the specific person. You can draw. You can make a drawing if you are artistic. I'll stick to writing. I'll leave the drawing for the, for the awesome people. You can, do, you can just do a smiley. You can say, Jesus loves you. Use this as part of some of these things on your list. Like a great one. There's one that says, Tip your weight at 20% and use this card to give the person a word or a blessing. Great opportunity. There's one that says take a meal to your neighbor. Also a great opportunity to use this card. Just to, you see, ultimately, for me, this is important now. You need to, you need to get this. Generosity is a tool to get to people's hearts. You know? If you want people to start following Jesus, buy them a birthday gift out of the blue. You know, I, at the moment, God is just opening my eyes for so many people. And I go on Facebook, I check their birthdays, you know, and I put it in my diary. And when it's their birthday, there's no other way in which I could have known that it's their birthday. I buy them a gift. I, I send a WhatsApp message. I buy them a gift. If, if there's any chance that I feel that God's has a plan and a purpose in this season for that, for that person. I, I use it as a tool because ultimately generosity without lost souls coming into the kingdom could just be a, a, a good thing but not a God thing. All right? Does it make sense to you? So I, I just feel generosity is a tool. It's a way. It's a, it's a, it's a means of, of, getting, if, of, of God giving you the, the keys to somebody's heart. This is why there's also like one that says, write a note to your boss. Write a note to your boss. Write a thank you note to your boss. How often do we do that? Hey? We just complain about our boss mostly. So generosity is a tool to get to people's hearts so that God can get to their hearts. This is what, it, what it's all about for me. So it's more than just being generous. It's more than just buying gifts. It's more than just giving. It's about God. What can I give to this person that will open their heart for the gospel? This is what it's all about. And this is why we're using these cards. So it's not just a cake or a, a chicken that you, you know, roasted chicken you take to your neighbor. No, you're adding a card and you say, God, what are they going through at the moment? Give me a word that's going to change their life forever. And, and one day maybe if they, they are ready, they will remember where to, on which door to knock for spiritual help because they will remember this cards. So I want to take you f- through a few things. 
I'm highlighting other things than what I highlighted last week. Number three, attend the Money Matters Seminar on Saturday, 21st May. It's going to be life-changing. You know, I've, I've spoken to somebody in the week, and she said to me, giving and finances is really very low on her priority list. But she is so motivated. <laughs> she is so psyched for this month. And even if you, you think, oh, money matters. Oh, my goodness, Sonika. I have better things to do with my Saturday morning. Just drag yourself there, okay? Drag yourself there. It's going to be good. It's not just going to be theor- theoretical and practical. I, bel- I, I trust God that he will change something inside of us. Because ultimately, if you have debt or if you have things that, that is a burden to you, it sometimes is something inside of us that needs to change. So I'm going to trust the Lord for, for many things to happen on Saturday. That's point number three. Point number four, pray with your spouse or your best friend over your finances. So make an appointment. Organize a coffee. I have a date with my husband on Friday. We're going to tackle quite a few of these things and just talk it through. Number seven, draw up a budget and pray God's blessing over it. How many of you have a budget? Okay, you can be honest, eh? It's fine if you don't have one. I'm going to teach you how to draw up a budget. And maybe you think, oh, Sonica, it's not my thing. It's really, really not my thing. You can do a very simple one, and it can be life-changing. Okay, I've sat with different people, different people, and I helped them to, to, to draw up a budget, and I sat with them with their bank statements, and it was like a whole new world from stress to peace. So you draw up a budget. Try to do it before Saturday. If you can't, I'll help you on Saturday. But if you have something, bring it, bring it with you on Saturday. Number 14, support Shafer East London Missions. By supporting someone who's going on missions in 2016, there's 10 of us going to Brazil in June. Uh, our international plane tickets are 20,000 rand per person. It's quite scary. It doesn't include the local flights. It's a lot of money, and most of us are still trusting God for a couple of thousand. So, but this is not about giving thousands. It's about, okay, God, I want to support missions. I want to get into the habit. I want to lead my heart to support missions. How much? 10 rand? 20 rand? It doesn't really matter. It's about, it's about starting somewhere. So that's number 14. Number 17, start saving for a mission trip in 2017. How's that for a good one? <laughs> Many people don't go on missions because they don't have finances. You'll be surprised how motivated you might be next year if you have, a, have saved a couple of rand. We also have local missions. It's not so expensive. Start saving, and if you don't use it, you can always give it to somebody next year who's going on missions. I mean, you build up your heavenly bank account like that. Number 17. Number 20, you give over and above your tithe to the Shofar Bus Fund. We want to buy a bus specifically for this congregation. We're very excited about that. We want to buy the bus cash. So we need rands in our bank account for that. So if you want to specifically donate to the bus fund, these envelopes also on your chairs should be. If you want to give cash, are there envelopes? On your chairs? Okay. You should have received last week. Then you, um, if you want to give cash, you just 
Dick, I want to give 10 rand to the bus. To the bus. Everything's going to help. And otherwise, you can do an electronic transfer by using your, your giving card for the bus. That is number 20. Pay off more debt than your monthly commitment. If you don't have debts, you can tick it, okay? One out of 30, done. If you have debt, even if you pay off 10 rand extra, you can tick it. It is, it is just to come into the habit of, I'm paying off debt, I'm not making more debt, I'm paying off debt. Number, number 22, budget a monthly amount to give over and above your tithe. That was what I was speaking about tonight. You budget something to give over and above your tithe. If you can't budget a lot, budget something, and then you trust God to increase that. That's what you do. Number 24, share your financial goals and commitments with a trusted friend. Do you have a goal? Start thinking about it. Do you have a goal? A good goal would be five years from now, I want to be debt-free. Even if you have no idea how you're going to get there, it's a really good, nice goal. You know, when Andre and I got married, our, our date was 165,000 rand. For me, it was this mountain. I was like, God, how are we ever going to be debt-free? And when we moved to East London in 2009, for the first time, we were debt-free completely. I felt as free as a bird. But we had a plan. It wasn't just, oh, it might disappear someday. It was like, no, 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 no. This is moving <laughs> out of our lives. And we have a plan. And there's going to be a, a, an action plan. And we had a goal. So what is your goal in terms of debt, in terms of maybe buying a house, in terms of buying an a, a engagement ring hey, for that lady? Amen? You need to start saving for that ring, guys. That lady is on the, on the radar. I feel it. I feel it. Okay, start tithing to your local church, number 25. Number 27, donate over and above your tithe into the body serve account. Our body serve account is primarily for needs in the church, in the congregation. There's people with specific financial needs, so we would love to have money that we have ready if somebody has a need. So we have our normal bank account that all the, that when there's a tithe being paid in or offerings, it goes there. We have our body serve account, which is for specific needs. We have our missions account that is for missions. So if you, if you use any kind of electronic transfer, check on the giving card. All the details are on there. Okay, one last thing before I'm going to close. Are you... Are you psyched? Yay. Yay. You know, on, on Friday, Vian and I went to my son. He's seven. Vian and I went to the mall. I said to him, let's take biscuits. We baked biscuits, and we took one of this, these cards, and I said to him, okay, let's, let's just take one, and we're going to now look for somebody to give it to, and Vian pointed out somebody, one of the ladies. It's not something on the list, so I can't take it, but... It was so cool just to go with Vian, and he said, Mommy, let's give it to that lady. She was collecting all the trolleys outside of Hemingway's. I said, let's, let's take it to her, and we gave it to her. She was like, oh, are you selling this? I said, no, 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 you can just have it. We, our church is doing this, and Jesus loves you, and we felt we must give it to you. She was, she was eating the biscuits. She was like opening, eating immediately. She said, I feel so loved. I feel so loved. It was just such a nice exercise with my, my son. And I said to him, Vian, you look, look around. What do you think? 
So, as I say, it's not somebody on my list. It's number 31. <laughs> but it was so good. One last thing before I'm, I'm closing. When we open our hands and surrender something that's really precious to us to God, when we release control of something that's really precious to God, he comes and he replaces that open space in our palm with peace. If we hold on, God cannot give us peace because our hope is in wealth. But the moment we open our hands, we say, God, I trust you. I give. Uh, I feel scared, but I give. I open my hand. Then God can come and he can replace your financial stress with financial peace. It is an amazing, amazing feeling not to stress over finances. And it's, it's my heart and my desire for all of you to know that place, to know that feeling of not stressing over your finances. It is amazing. I've been there where I was stressed. I am here with, where I am today without stressing at all about anything because our stewardship side is in place. We have a budget. We talk about it. We, we plan. But on the other side also, I, I trust God for my hand to be open so that he can give me peace. He can take my stress and give me peace. Amen? Please stand with me. We're going we're gonna to do a declaration. Remember last week we did a declaration and we did a crafted prayer. A declaration is where we just declare truth. We just declare this is truth and I am leading my heart to start believing it. A crafted prayer is, is a prayer that you craft, which means you, you work out a prayer. You write a prayer and then you pray it by reading or shouting it off your, off your paper. And it also leads your heart to, to change your perspective. So sometimes we wake up in the mornings and we're very, very tired and we can't pray. We can't think of anything to pray. And then you can use your crafted prayer that you worked out a week before. And you can, can start with that. So I'm going to read the declaration, the crafted prayer, and then we can do it together. I declare that it is not possible to serve both God and mammon. Therefore, I will make money my servant by actively taking part in the generosity challenge this month. I will lead my heart to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Thank you, Father, that as I release control of my money to you, you replace my financial stress with financial peace. Thank you that you will give me the grace to become a joyful giver, not a stressful one. Thank you that every time I give, I take hold of life that is truly life. Amen.